0: Our passion didn't start with the mouth. It started with people, with the well-being of the profession, and if you're like me, maybe a little bit of your nerdiness in all things tech too. We all want to love what we do, but the truth is, burnout, people problems, and glass ceilings can keep us from doing what we set out to do. So let's get back to the heart of connection. Welcome to the Dental Handoff. This show is about passing you the knowledge, the habits, the systems and the strategies to lead your teams, lean on the tech, and listen to your gut while you take care of teeth. And let's get honest, the overall health of our communities. Let's stop using the wrong end of the toothbrush, y'all. My name is Dr. Kelly Tanner. Oh, and uniquely, I'm a dental hygienist too. You can consider me a guru in the dental and leadership industry. With over three decades of experience, my goal is to take you to the next level by empowering growth, perspective, and confidence by identifying the gaps, recognizing the plaque, and extracting the truth with other experts in the field. I'll share their stories, empower you to own yours, and elevate your passion in the process. So have a seat in the chair, put on your bib, and let's get to work. Welcome to the dental handoff. I'm Dr. Kelly Tanner, RDH. And who do I have here with me? (laughs) He doesn't need introduction. Dr. Uh, Gordon Christensen. Good
1: to be with you, Kelly.
0: Thank you. I have been following like many of you all, Dr. Christensen, since I was a baby hygienist 30 years ago in Williamsburg. You're still a baby hygienist. Yes, I am. See, this is why I keep Gordon around. So I follow him to (laughs) I follow him to all the main events. He doesn't even know I'm there. We have a lot of fun. Yeah, we do. We have, we have a lot of fun. So you guys know him as the guy who knows everything dentistry. Appreciate everything. You. And he and his wife, Rella, they, um, they travel around teaching us things, that, setting our standard for what we do in dentistry. And Dr. Christensen, thank you. Um, Gordon. Gordon.
1: I've got four doctorates and I can't remember anything in any one of them.
0: <laughs> so what we're going to talk about today is I want people to hear your story about why dentistry for you, and then we're going to go into some leadership. So, why dentistry?
1: Uh, the my ecclesiastical leader, I am LDS faith, and uh, he was a bishop. That's that's like a priest or a rabbi, and uh, he was a very altruistic man. He he basically would he'd give his shirt right off his back to anyone who needed it. He uh, he had a, a beautiful home, beautiful family, and uh, I thought, hmm, I'm considering medicine engineering and dentistry and it was almost a flip of a coin that said the good man told me uh, dentistry and so it was uh, i had no knowledge of dentistry or anything my dad had a third grade education and my mother had a high school education and uh, only two two of us were children my brother became president of the largest insurance company in the world that mother just influenced us so positively i never heard a negative word in my life with her it was always you can do it you can do it. You're smart as that other kid you can do it no problem and uh, she he got a stanford mba and i obviously went dentistry but it was the parent that uh, had some leadership by the way yeah and it was positive influential leadership that led us to think we could do anything. I I went into dentistry thinking, well, this ought to be pretty easy,
0: and, <laughs> and as a result, it was. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So, talk to me about where you went to school and uh, where you were. You always a leader in what you did, even as a student.
1: I was a student body president at USC, University of Southern Cal, and uh, my wife was senior class president, and that's where we met. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I was getting my dental degree and she was getting her bachelor's in hygiene. She's just like you. She went on and got the PhD. And uh, I was very influenced with her. I had been dating quite a few young women. And uh, once I had started with Rella, I knew that was it. It was within months we were married. And uh, that was, our, both of us were in our senior years. and, and I don't know if you went to school being married or not no. but it was uh, it was a challenge. Cause both of us were fairly academic oriented and uh therefore uh, marriage took us down a little bit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh that was USC then uh, I got nailed with the Vietnam War and I was in that fiasco. <clears throat> I learned more there than dental school oh, by far. By far. I had not done much surgery, and uh, when I got into a major clinic on these young soldiers, my gosh, we were taking out buckets full of third molars every day, and I learned so very fast. And I thought, hmm, I like surgery. I thought I liked ortho, but I didn't want to be with uh, whining mothers and uh, pimply kids. I thought I I liked children. and i and then i thought twice about that too uh, for the same reason the surgery well i don't want to be in hospitals around sick people all the time i I just went through almost every one of the areas and i finally thought hmm i'm mechanical i can do about anything mechanical you just show me what you want i can do it that was why i wanted to do mechanical engineering i was building radios at age 12 Mm And uh, In fact, I got in a national newspaper for a radio on my bike. That doesn't seem like anything now, but I would rip apart old super radios out of the junkyard, and I would broadcast over the national system. I, I'd be in jail if they ever knew that. <laughs> but uh, that was at age 12, 13, 14, uh, wow. but then dentistry won. And I then did a graduate program University of Washington did another graduate program at uh, oh I, I did a nutrition run at MIT I did a, a PhD at, at University of Denver because I was already a full professor when I did that and you couldn't you couldn't go I was at the University of Colorado and you, and you couldn't go in a graduate program if you were already a full professor I don't know why that
0: rule was there
1: wow. yeah so I, I I went to University of Denver which is a private school.
0: Wow. So when did you decide to do what it is that you're in the way you've contributed many things to the profession, but when did you decide to do clinical research, to do 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 CRA, to do all the independent research that you're doing? I'd been on, uh, we're at the ADA meeting. I've been
1: on almost every every ADA council just about over my career. And uh, I liked it. But on the other hand, I thought this is slow so uh we would get a pile of papers for the scientific council and you're supposed to read those yeah right uh and, <laughs> and then uh, uh there, there there has to be bias in some things and there would be bias you know if a company is donating 100 grand every year to whatever mm-hmm. they're going to be a little influenced and that bothered me so i thought why don't we start an independent research group that um uh, does not take money from the government, does not take money from any manufacturer. And we don't. Uh, The only thing basically that they have to pay for a product evaluation is samples of the product, and then we do the rest free of charge. So Rella said, you're crazy. (laughs) And I said, well, let's try it. And I resigned from University of Colorado at that point. I was clinical dean there. Went on later to start the Scottsdale Center and well, uh, and University of Kentucky. I've, I've started several things, but uh, I was frustrated with the potential bias of companies paying money for an evaluation. If they're going to pay me whatever, 50 grand, how can you not have some uh, minor bias or major right, bias? Right and that started CRA. I was making $2,000 a month then. Mm. That was ridiculous. But that was 50 years ago. And uh, so uh, everybody told me on the faculty, I was then clinical dean, as I said, they said, you're gonna go bankrupt in six months. Well, we're 47 years now, We we haven't gone bankrupt. But there've been ups and downs, the the latest two were obviously the recession and COVID. And both of, both of them took us down 30%, we regained. Then came COVID, 30%, we regained. And I look at places like this meeting where we're sitting, uh, most of these distrib- distributors, manufacturers are still down 15%. And ADA is telling us the overall profession is still at about 80, 85% pre-COVID. So... Um, I I knew that working with these organizations, I had to do what they wanted done. So that's why we started our own. And it's been good, but like any small business, there's no vacations. That's right. No vacations.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that you have quite a following. I had to wait in line to come get you today (laughs) after your seminar. Yeah. Um, one of my great friends and a friend of yours as well, Dr. Mark Hyman. Oh, my gosh. I, I had
1: him speak on one of our meetings o- over the last weekend.
0: Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. He's oh, an amazing human.
1: Unbelievable dude.
0: Yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, he, was, he was sharing some notes with me about one of your recent lectures about the importance of what you thought leadership was in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the profession. <laughs> yes. And the need that you're seeing for that as an upcoming, oh, wow. it, well, it's not really upcoming, right? It's, it's one of those things that's been needed for a while. It's just, it ever, it's, just it's surfaced. It's yeah. surfaced because I think the people, the human need wants that more. So than even before COVID, would you agree with that? No, no question.
1: Years ago, and uh, Mark being a wonderful Jewish man, uh, I probably had this in mind. Uh, they the used to be a Jewish fraternity, Alpha Omega. Ask, and I'm LDS, so uh, we're a lot alike. What's important to both those religions? Family, mm-hmm. education, doing to others. You know, we're so similar. Can't believe who the, we don't know who the big man is, but you know, yeah. you can't agree on that. But in the meantime, <laughs> it, it was fun to work with, with Mark. The, the Jewish Outfit asked me to, and they gave me a big award, uh, to uh, tell them about what, leadership was, and I thought, well, who am I? So I looked at the biographies, Otto and otherwise, of leaders, Norman Vincent Peale, Dwight Eisenhower. I did a 100 of them, and uh, what did I find? I found numerous characteristics were identifiable in every one of them, surprisingly. Number one, I can do it, I can do it, I get it, positive thinking. That was number one, every single one had that as their top level, and I know how important that is because you see so many. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know, uh, and then high organization, high delegation. Yes. I look at. I often think I'm in the Marriott over here. I think. That, I wonder if Bill Marriott knows if that toilet hasn't been cleaned. You know. I, I, <laughs> no, he doesn't. He's delegated <laughs> a whole no, thing. He you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Do you think that we're good of, about delegating in dentistry? No,
1: not at all. <laughs> not period! All. <laughs> exclamation point! The average American dentist, and uh, this will probably be dated a little bit. The ADA says uh, gross is about a hundred. Uh, pardon me, eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars gross. Now uh, they've got seventy-two percent overhead, which says five hundred thousand went to somebody else. Yep. Then they got forty percent tax on that, which says they're not making a lot of money. Now, uh, adding two ha- two more dental assistant hands increases productivity forty percent. Forty percent, forty percent of eight hundred thousand, another three hundred twenty thousand. I'm not money oriented at all, but in the meantime, it's pretty interesting to me that if they if they delegate. I mean, totally delegate with responsibility. They can double that revenue and still work three days a week. But a lot of them don't think about it. Yeah. They will delegate, but it's not a true delegation. It's not delegation with responsibility. I would like you to be over the records. And then they don't do anything. You don't check back up. Uh, Steve Covey was the, the probably the guru of that. But he's dead. Uh, One of the people who gives courses for us, Robert Spiel, uses that same philosophy. He worked for Cubby for years. And uh, that is where, as an example, I wish I had some of my staff here. Let's say you're in charge of cone Am I going to walk in there and say, hmm, I wonder if the working? No. I'm going to walk in there and look at the image. It's there. I don't even have to say it. Is it right? Yeah. Do I know all the icons? No. But I know enough for me to, to do some of the things with it. But somebody's got that completely. So I walk in. I'm not worrying about the cone beam. I'm not worrying about whether the lab's got all the stuff. I'm not worrying about whether the janitor cleaned the whatevers. Uh, somebody's got everything. Delegation with responsibility. And uh, that's easy leadership. In fact, our course in our own little series is Excite the Leadership in You. Excite it. Don't just say, yeah, I'm a leader. Everybody's a leader. Leader of a family, leader of a a civic group, a church, a synagogue. Everybody is a a leader in some way. The company. And uh, if they try to take the entire load themselves, it ain't going to work. So it's got to have a lot of delegation. Of those 100 people, I've picked out 20 characteristics, but the top three, I'll repeat them, were, uh, were positive thinking, organization, delegation, and delegation with responsibility. If they don't have responsibility for it, let's say I delegate to the front desk person 100% collection, and it's running 80%. Is that my job to say that? No. I have what we call a uh, individualized evaluation uh, interview twice a year with all my staff people. I have 50 full-time. And we sit down, and uh, they know what the responsibility is. Well, I don't say, you've done this. I say, uh, tell me, uh, how do you feel about uh, achieving your responsibility? They evaluate themselves. They have a list of 10 things they evaluate. Use of their time, financial situations. So they're telling me by grading themselves on a piece of paper. I've never fired anybody, but but people have left when that when they they can see themselves they're not fulfilling the that leadership role. We just have a amicable divorce. I, I don't say you're done. Uh, they say they're done. Oh, here's an example. I had one woman. It's been quite a while ago who had worked with the government for years. And I'm not negative about government, but uh, this woman was used to breaks at a given time. She was used to a noon hour, I mean, a noon hour, bam, bam, you know, she was used to five o'clock. And uh, her grading sheet done by her didn't indicate happiness in several areas. We we left. I found her a job somewhere else where she had those defined hours. <laughs> it's
0: got to yeah. align yeah. with what it is that you're doing. <laughs> so, where do you think doctors start with this? Where do you think that? Where, do they, wh- where they, do they start? They certainly don't get it in school
1: because school is a form of prison. You know that. That's a psycho I am a PhD psychologist. Some people know, some don't. Uh, schools prisons, churches, the military, they're all coercive organizations. Do what they say or you're gone. And that's school. So they didn't get leadership in school. They got anti-leadership. They got dogmatism. You do what I say or you're, you're going to go another year. You, you know that. Uh, so uh, it has to be developed by someone like you or me who, who gets them in a course and lets them see how you can in fact delegate with responsibility and in a in a tactful way have them evaluate themselves. Not, not that you're going to fire them, but you, you're going to talk enough that they know they're not really being responsible for what they were assigned.
0: So what about, what about the individual who doesn't realize that the problem is them?
1: That is a challenge.
0: Um, and
1: I've, I've, I've I don't have any right now out of 50. Occasionally we get one. And uh, in their personalized interviews, they pretty well figure that out. They don't know they've got a problem. Like a, one, one of the characteristics I have is punctuality. Well, how, are, how do you feel uh, about uh, that one, punctuality? And they're going to say, well, I'm late a lot of the time. Then I'll say, well, what are you going to do about it? I don't say, get, get here on time. I say, what are you going to do about it? And now they've got to tell me. And if if I hit that, I do this semi-annually. If I, if I see the next one still the same, you know, well, it looks like maybe you'd be better working with someone who didn't have punctuality as a major characteristic. We find him somebody. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so then doctors start by understanding, obviously, what they need. But sometimes docs... And and none of us know sometimes when it's us causing the issues too, because we don't know what we don't know unless someone calls us on our blind spots, right? So how would you suggest that a doctor be able to identify that within themselves to say, you know, I need help. My team needs help. Most
1: do not really recognize that. There are some highly organized offices, very the epitome of, of excellence that way. And others just bumble in, have no staff meeting. I'm amazed at how a lot of them don't have a staff meeting. Our staff meetings are not dictator oriented. I get in there and uh, they report on what they've done in their respective responsibilities. They just say, uh, and then I don't ask them. They tell the group, and then they know if they're not living up to it that uh, they don't look too good to the whole group, not just me. They change, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they change. Leadership has to be developed. Very few have it. My mother, who was born in 1899, uh, is is dead, of course, dead 30 years ago. But uh, she was a what would be called now an executive secretary of a major factory. And that was very uncommon for a woman in the 1920s, which is when she was doing that. Women were supposed to just stay home and make babies. That was it, you know. So here she was uh, completely aside from that. And uh, she she could run circles around 20 men. She was working with a guy that was kind of half alive, and then she would tell him what to do. That would be totally out of the picture years ago when she was doing that. And so that's what gave my brother and myself a lot of organization. She didn't say, pick your clothes up. She'd say, well, what do you think you you might want to do with those clothes? In other words, they would have to tell her. It's It's, it's Socratic education. That's what it is. The, the person you're trying to educate or change is to make the decision, not me, them. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Mm. So then you have the doctors who may have may or may not have realized. Because, you know, sometimes it's the symptoms of the practice. Sure, sure. You're, you're knowing that there's drama because many docs come and say, I'm just, I can't deal with the drama. How do I fix it? And so it's, you know what I say tell me. I,
1: I, you may not like it. I say... Uh, I hear there's been a little controversy lately. Now I get dogmatic. There will be no more. If there's something wrong, come to me. Otherwise, you can you can go somewhere else. And I'm just that straightforward. And there is a lot of woman drama. You you know just as well. Uh, men just fight among one another. Women whine. Uh, I, I don't know why. I had At one time, I had 50 women working with me. They were all dental assistants. That was a grant I had at University of Kentucky. Every senior student had, had uh, a dental assistant. Can you imagine that? Now, they don't have any dental assistants other than running sterilization or something. It's really amazing what's happened. They get out not having the vaguest idea what a dental assistant is because they've been doing everything themselves. And how are they supposed to just learn that by themselves? It right. doesn't happen.
0: And how to delegate that and how to, how to manage it, how to yeah. connect with that individual.
1: We can bomb everybody on the earth, but we can't educate our own people well in the U.S. I'm very concerned about that. If I had one of those missiles that cost a million dollars, I could run an entire year on, of, of some of the research we do. That that says it all. Where we're spending the money, well, you, we've got to
0: spend some money there, but we ought to be using these domestic needs. So what is your opinion on, because a lot of folks take classes on ultrasonics and crown and you know the, all the things, but where I'm seeing the leadership occur is where people truly want to be supported in their personal development, because I think that all of that all of that personal accountability starts at that self-level to be able to have that strong foundation of who you are.
1: Yeah. A lot of them get to early middle age. They're making enough money. They, they've, um, they've got several cars. They've got kids in their teenage years. They're making it and they're happy. They belong to a golf club. They're, they're, they're doing all kinds of selfish things, but they're stable. That's the best way I can say now, what stimulates them? Well, uh, more kids, more um, uh, a recession. Something will stimulate them to have to be more productive. I use a car analogy. There are times in life when you got to have a Porsche. I don't mean the car. I mean, you've got to have the pedal to the floor. You're going as fast as you can go. <clears throat> At one time, I had seven people in college. I only have three kids, but they married poverty-stricken spouses. And then Rella went back for a PhD. So I had seven people in college at the same time. That was the Porsche time. Now those kids are gone. They're all productive. Uh, I've got grandkids and great-grandkids. They're sucking money, but not nearly like the original ones. So uh, bottom line is you have to be able to goose it and be productive. I'm in the Prius time now. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I don't have to make any money. I've, there's plenty there saved up. and I'm I'm cool. Uh but uh ADA even says only 4% of general dentists can retire at the same standard of living that that they were that they had at their uh, pre-retirement. 4%? That is pathetic. I always say I would advise any new dentist or anybody to save 10 uh, pardon me, to save 10% Give 10% to charity. The good Lord will bless you for that. And the rest of it, you get taxed on, and that's what you live on. So shut up. You're not buying three cars this year. Uh, you're, you're buying what you
0: can afford, and you'll be a millionaire by age 40. Easy, easy. Yeah. <laughs> so when you talk about what's up and coming in 2022, 2023, one of the last points that you said, just kind of rounding all this back out, was a need for leadership. The need for leadership and leadership development in our profession. Where do you see that going? Because you know a lot of things, a lot of people, you study a lot and you I know a lot.
1: I would really like to see more practice management taught in dental schools by those who have succeeded. Not by, I'm not anti academic, but not by somebody who's never really had to be entrepreneurial because dentistry is entrepreneurial. Uh, you you can't just go in there and work that's why uh that's why corporate's been so popular a lot of them just want to go and work i'm not negative about that uh some middle-aged dentists just really hate paperwork they hate malpractice insurance they hate having uh, having to be there early and supervise a herd of people so there so a lot of middle-agers are going into corporate because they don't want to take a leader role uh, on the other hand uh, recently i talked to an organization I'm trying to remember the name of it dental can't say the name it was an acronym but i had about 500 in the audience and they were all young dentists who did not want to practice they want to own practices i wish i could remember the name of it dental d e dental entrepreneurs i, I can't remember but they, they had some of the big boys there like um, uh, Heartland and like Pacific. And, uh, and uh, they were learning how to be leaders and and be organized. Well, they got have to have those three things. They have to have the three things we talked about. If they don't have it, forget it. Go do your class two composites.
0: <laughs> well, it's also about connection and how you connect with people and sure. that communication because you communicate to connect. And it's got to be from grass tops to grassroots and back up again. It's got to be from top to bottom and for everyone, from everyone understanding and going along on a common vision. And if that falls apart, then none of of the rest of it matters. So you're, I'm hearing you say too, that you think that you feel strongly that this should be taught in dental schools, the practice management aspect.
1: Yeah. And one of the problems with CE and I'm the one that got requirements into CE. I've, I hate to admit that, but 1975, I uh, was then in uh, in Colorado, and they came to me and asked me, uh, "We we want to make a requirement for a number of hours of CE." And I and one other guy put that together in Colorado, and since then it's just gone everywhere. But uh, a lot of the California, they don't want to pay, uh, give continuing education credit for practice management courses. That, that's stupidity. That's that, If they can't manage your practice, they're going to fail. Yep. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and I don't think that we should base our lives on what CE is and, che- and checks that mm-hmm. box. It's about that human improvement. Because if you improve lives through whatever it is that you're doing, it's that trickle-down effect of everything. And I think that then that keeps them coming back. At, the team keeps them coming back to, because they know that you're invested in them and then therefore invest in your practice and so on in the community. So any final words you want to share with our audience?
1: Dentistry is the best profession that ever happened. I now know that uh, many of my friends, the only people I could study with, uh, two of we were obviously fairly close to the top of the class. The two of them went on and did the medical degree after it. Uh And uh, they were the only ones I could study with. And I see the motivation has to come within. It's hard to motivate somebody. Human behavior, this is a fact, is set at age three. You got kids that are dumb and don't have the ability to do it, but then you've got those who are highly motivated. Out of my three kids, I've got one that's an absolute perfectionist motivator, and I've got two that are great people, you know. Uh, but uh, how? what a difference people are. I was standing in line the other day at a grocery store. Rella gave me that job when she went to graduate school. And that was 35 years ago. I still got the dumb job. So I was out getting groceries. And uh, <laughs> uh, the clerk, a young woman was standing there and she looked like she was about ready to die. And I uh, I said, well, how's it going? Same old, same old. It, you, I know you heard that a so hundred times and I thought, I'm going to get a pine box. And when you when you really feel that way, crawling, you'll die. Uh, you've got to be alive yeah. and creative and innovative and and thinking. I'll give one more thing and I'll shut up. Uh, every year, Rel and I go away uh, together at the, during the Christmas holiday. And I go away and she goes away alone one of the days. Let me figure out Okay, what in my life could be better? Uh, and we'll go individually now profession, family, religion, self, civic. There are about five things. What could be better? What do we need to do? She does it. I do it. Then we get together, the second day. We go through the same things. Here's what we're going to do. And we actually make a list. Does it go through the year and we accomplish all of them? No, it doesn't. But as it changes, uh, years ago, our parents died. Did it change? Totally. They had more time. Uh, The kids got married. Did it change? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it changed. One wanted a $300,000 loan. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So part of what I do educationally is figure out something I don't know well enough and figure out how I'm going to know it. And what would that be? Well, I could go back 40 years with you and figure out what in each one of those years I decided I had to do. And I have to continue education. So every, every first three months of every year, I don't know part of what I'm doing. And that keeps me stimulated. Yeah. That's why I'm still around at 300 years of
0: age. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said retirement isn't the word in the Bible, right? Oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> You find it in there. It right? ain't there. I, it's not. It's not. No. I just so appreciate what you have done. Your leadership what you're doing. in the in the profession. Oh, the, uh, you yeah. can't stop it. You that, can't. It, the passion. It, it, your,
1: your PhD. How long did that take you?
0: Uh, five and a half years. Relative five years. Yeah. It was hell. The whole time <laughs> for me, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're out grocery shopping too. I,
1: I was a Mormon bishop right there too, and that's like a that's like a, a priest or a rabbi. Wow! So I was doing marriages, funerals, and everything else, and, and still practicing.
0: And still doing doing all the research. Oh, the stuff. Kids were in, yeah. uh, they were in high school then. Can you imagine no. the mess we were in? No.
1: Oh.
0: no, and driving them around to sports oh, and all, all the different-, different games and everything. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, I do know exactly yeah. what you yeah. mean. <laughs> yeah. You don't know who you are, or where you're going. It's just like, where what's changed now? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well. Thank Thanks you. for
1: what you're doing. Keep it up. We'll do. Get Will them motivated.
0: Do. Yeah. Thank you for all that <laughs> you've contributed to my profession. <laughs> thank and, you. Thank uh, you. My my professional career. Uh, so.
1: Hygienists are the educators in the office, and I often say, if the hygienist is turned on educating, well, this thing I just gave on crowns. Uh, People don't know anything about that. And while hygienists are doing their thing, they should be educating constantly. Oh, well, this tooth over here, you like that crack in it? Well, obviously not. They don't. You know, we got white crowns now. They're strong. You don't have to have gold. and that, That's the hygienist's
0: job. That's how we serve.
1: Yeah. Uh, that, I would say it's right in line with the hygiene part of what you're doing. If the practice is not educating, the practice is pedestrian, the low. If the, Agreed. If the, uh, if the hygienist is educating, it booms.
0: Yep, and then there's so much technology now that we can go into, it's a whole different topic, oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. that we can use to educate our patients to no connect them to question, where they are. No I know you've seen a lot throughout your career. Yeah. Dr. Christensen, thank, oh, you. thank you. Gordon, thank you, thank thank you. Such a it. such a delight you're amazing um thank you everyone all of our listeners and um now go do it go go do the things go lead the people yes. and if you wouldn't mind doing me a favor give us five stars on apple you know apple likes all this stuff i oh, know are you gonna like next level dental hygiene are you gonna go on my website of and course. like the dental handoff of my course. podcast see even gordon's doing it <laughs> even he's recommending it okay thank you all for what you're doing be well